Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. Thank you for working with us during technical difficulties, but we got those solved. If you don't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament or to the New Testament book of Colossians, the New Testament book of Colossians and Colossians in chapter number one, the book of Colossians and chapter number one. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church of Colossae with the idea of trying to encourage the church and trying to prepare them and anchor them down for a cult that is beginning to form inside of the city of Colossae. This cult is going to have every intention of deceiving the very church members of this church. And so with this, the Apostle Paul is going to be working throughout this book to give the church wisdom, to give them discernment and the knowledge of who the Lord Jesus Christ is. We could see this anchoring down even more in the book of Colossians in chapter number one. The book of Colossians chapter number one, and if you don't mind, look with me starting at verse number 12. The book of Colossians chapter one and verse number 12, the Bible says this, giving thanks unto the father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light who had delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Colossians chapter one, the book of Colossians chapter one, and notice with me at verse 14, the phrase redemption, through his blood. Redemption through his blood. And if you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you today and we study a little bit more of your blood and the redemption that you've given us because of your blood, give us understanding. Lord, we're asking that you would nail this down deep for us, that we could not only understand the redemption you provided for us, but you'd also show us what goes alongside with it. Again, fill me with your spirit. You guide and direct and encourage these folks tonight. And we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The word redemption is a very important Bible word. We know that there are several words that help us have a better understanding of what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us. The word redemption in the Bible carries with it the idea of a payment for sins. In fact, the full idea of it is <coughs> the purchasing of a person from the slave market, the, the purchasing of a person from a slave market. Remember that in the Roman world at the time of the writing of the Apostle Paul, 75% of the population of the Roman Empire were slaves. And so because of that, a lot of uh, uh, terminology from slavehood, a lot of the illustrations and 
understanding the common and vernacular, the way that people use language, came from the slave trade. The word redemption came from this word, and it just carried the idea. We know that slavery is an abomination and evil in every culture, every time, but it is history, and it is something we acknowledge that in a slave market, you would have someone who was ready to be bought. And as they were ready to be bought for someone to purchase that price, they would be redeemed. The purchasing of a slave, the purchasing of a person. Well, what the Lord Jesus Christ did up on the cross of Calvary is he paid our price. We understand <clears throat> that the God up in heaven, that God is holy, 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 that he is perfect, perfect, perfect. The problem is, is that we are not perfect. Because of our sin, it has put a gulf between us and God. And that because of that gulf, there was no way that these two parties can come together in agreement. That if we were to go to God, someone would go to God and said, God, what must happen for you to be close to man? He says, I would love to be close to man, but I cannot. This sin is in the way. Until that sin is removed, I cannot have fellowship with man. If you were to go over to man and say, man, what must happen for you to get close to God? Man says, I would love to get close to God. However, sin is in the way and God cannot allow us to get close to him because of our sin. So what we have is two parties who cannot come together because there's something in the way. So the Lord Jesus Christ understood what needed to happen, that that sin must be paid for. The sin must be removed from those two parties. So what the Lord Jesus Christ did is he came down on this earth and robed himself in flesh and came down in this earth and lived the same life that you and I lived. He went through the same temptations, the same troubles, and the same heartbreaks. Then he died on the cross to pay for our price. He didn't just pay for our price, but he died for us and he died as us. We call this substitutionary atonement. The idea of atonement is the payment of something that's required. Substitutionary carries the idea of taking the place of. For example, when you were in school, you had the substitute teacher. You look forward to the substitute teacher. Someone who took the place of. Well, Jesus Christ took our place for the wages of sin is death. We owed God a debt because of our sin and that sin had to be paid. Jesus took that payment of death upon his body on the cross of Calvary. And he died on Calvary to pay for your sins and to pay for mine. He died for us and he died as us. He was our substitutionary atonement. Now that Jesus Christ had paid for the sins, then now both parties have to be, have their payment taken care of. So Jesus goes up to God and said, God, are you satisfied with this? And, G and God said, yes. The idea that God is no longer angry at our sins is another Bible word called propitiation. Propitiation is a nice Bible word that means the appeasement of God's wrath. That because Jesus paid the price for us and as us, as he was our substitutionary atonement, that God is no longer angry. His 
wrath is satisfied for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus Christ died for us and he died as us. That payment has been made. God's holiness has been satisfied. How do we know, by the way, that God was satisfied with that payment? That's what the resurrection of Jesus Christ is all about. That on the third day, Jesus Christ arose from the dead. When he did that, it proved two things. It proved, first of all, that Jesus is God and that God was satisfied with the payment that was made. That Jesus Christ was our substitutionary atonement. And because God was satisfied with that payment, he became our propitiation, the appeasement of God's wrath. Now Jesus has to make sure that man's part is taken care of. This is where we have the Bible word that we find here, the word redemption. The word redemption means to pay the price of, to pay the price of a person as from a slave market. We know that we owed God a debt. We owed God a great price for our sin. And Jesus Christ paid that payment. By the way, what was the requirement of that payment? It was the blood of Jesus Christ. There was no other payment that could have been made. The Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Blood was the only payment that was good enough to pay the price that we owed God. And when Jesus Christ paid on the cross, he died for us and he died as us. We call that substitutionary atonement. When that happened, Jesus became our propitiation. God is no longer angry with our wrath. Instead, he goes over to man. Man his, needs his debt taken care of. Jesus paid that on the pro cross. We call that redemption. That Jesus Christ paid the price we owed him and the price was his blood. And now man has his debt paid for. Now, one more thing remains in this scenario is that both parties must agree in order to come together. Remember, the whole problem is that God and man are set apart and sin was in between them. And as long as sin was between them, God could not come to man. But now that Jesus Christ has paid the sin debt, now if both parties agree, they could come together in agreement. Jesus went to God. God, are you satisfied with the payment? And we know he was. That is what we call the word propitiation. Now, Jesus Christ paid the price for every man, but every man individually must personally accept that price. He must accept the terms. When this happens, we use a religious term that they got saved. They were forgiven of their sins. They accepted the payment. Some people at this time will say a prayer. Now, prayer doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. But saying a prayer is an outlet of faith for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That we must accept the gift some way, somehow. Whether it's a prayer, whether it's an uh, idea, but we must have a point action in time where we accepted that gift. If you do not have that point action in time, may I say, according to the Bible, you're probably not saved. You must have a point action in time where you specifically accepted the gift. Now, I understand memory may fade and other things may come up, but there has to be a point action in time. You don't slowly become saved. There is a time where you accept the terms. For example, you didn't slowly sign the paperwork for your house. There was a point in time where you signed it. There was a time where you received the keys and it became yours. When you receive a birthday gift, it doesn't slowly become your gift one piece at a time unless you've got a cruel parent. 
It is yours as soon as you receive it. It's yours. Does it make sense? Each person must personally accept the gift for themselves. Now, when both parties accept the terms, now they could do another Bible term called reconciliation. They could come together in agreement because sin is no longer in the way. And because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, we can have fellowship with God because of what Jesus Christ did. We could spend time with God. That is the great benefit. Now that's not the only thing. Oftentimes when Christians talk about salvation, they talk about salvation as if it's a standalone item. But let me tell you, there are things that accompany salvation. That when you get saved, you just don't get saved and that's it. When you get saved, you get a slew of other benefits. Inside of the book of Colossians chapter 1 verses 12 through 14, there are three uh, things that accompany salvation that are mentioned here. Three benefits that we get when we become redeemed, when we accept the payment that Jesus made, when we become forgiven, when we have what is called salvation, this deliverance from the debt we owed God. So what are the three things, according to the book of Colossians, that we get when we get saved? What are some things that accompany salvation? If you don't mind, we find a first thing here that we become partakers of the inheritance of light. We become the partakers of the inheritance of light. Notice with me in verse number 12. Giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Now, the primary reference here is to our spiritual blessings as a believer that enable us to live for God in the darkness of the world. When we get saved, one of the blessings we get is that we are able to live as one of God's children in a dark, dark world. God allows us to have a different light. We don't have to live like the world who is going to hell. We don't have to live like people who are in darkness. We don't have to live like people who are lost and don't know how to get forgiveness. We don't have to live like heathen do. We can have a different light. We get to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. We now have a light in the darkness. That's not our light that shines, by the way. That is the light of the Lord Jesus Christ that again allows us to be a light in a dark world. In fact, hold your finger here and turn with me to the book of 1 Peter and let's see what the epistle of 1 Peter has to say concerning us being the inheritors of this blessing. First Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1. And notice with me if you don't mind. First Peter chapter 1. And notice with me starting at verse number 3. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to, so we went from death and now God has raised us up 
to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you. Do you know that God has an inheritance for you? And he has it reserved and it will not corrupt. It will not fade away. It will not fall apart. It will not become a junk. You know, we have things in this earth now, as much as you would like, your car is going to fall apart. As much as you would like it not to, your house is going to fall apart. As much as you would like to, your body is going to fall apart. You will have to buy new clothes. You will have to get brand new shoes. You will have to get doctor's visits to make sure the rest of you aren't falling apart. But the inheritance that God has given for us will never fade away. It will never be defiled. It will never be stolen. It will never be taken away. It's reserved in heaven for us. And the reservations that God makes, they don't fail. Notice with me in verse 5. Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Part of also this inheritance that we have is that God promised that he's going to keep us and hold us. And he won't drop us. He won't forget us. He won't let us go. That God will keep us through his power. Aren't you glad that we're not trusted to keep our own salvation? Some of you can't keep your own car keys handy. We'd lose it in a hurry. We'd mess it up. But it's not up to us to keep our salvation. It is kept through the power of God. In fact, in John chapter 10, Jesus says this, that the people that God has given Christ, they're placed inside of his hand and no man can pluck them out. And on top of that, we're also placed in God's hand and no man can pluck them out. By the way, aren't you a man? That means you can't pluck yourself out. God has kept you. And that's one of the blessings of this inheritance is that he has it reserved for you. And if he says, I've reserved it for you, you're going to go see it. You're going to receive inheritance. You're going to go have the time where you get to have the blessing. We get to be partakers of the inheritance of light. You understand that when you get salvation, you don't just get forgiveness of sins. You also get a heavenly inheritance. That will not go away. That is yours full, free, and forever because of the power of God keeping us. What's another thing that accompanies salvation? Notice with me in verse 13, we find something else. We see that he has delivered us from the power of darkness. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. Notice with me verse 13. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. What happened is that God has rescued us. He has removed us from Satan's fear of darkness and he has put us into his own kingdom. We have been translated. This idea that he has delivered us from the power of darkness is a big deal. That means that you no longer can blame Satan for your sins. Also a bad thing, we can no longer blame Satan for our sins. When we sin as a Christian, we do it because we made the choice to do it. But you no longer have to sin. You are freed from the power of sin. That's a blessing. You can't use the excuse that someone made you sin. You just couldn't help yourself. Because of the power of Jesus Christ, you now have the freedom to choose to do right. 
you no longer have to sin. In addition, it says that we've been translated into the kingdom of his dear son. The word translation is a good word here, a, a powerful word. It carries with it this idea of translating is to go from one form to another. For example, we talked about an English translation. What they did is they went from the ancient language and they translated it into the language we now enjoy. It went from one form to another. We were in this darkness, in this dark world, a slave to sin and under the power of the prince and power of the air. By the way, if you haven't realized, Satan rules this world. God is the God of the universe, but Satan rules this world. We were under his dominion. When we got saved, we were translated from that power into a different power. That not only do we have light that we can shine in this dark world, but we also no longer have to be a slave to that darkness anymore. We have been translated into a different power. We are now freed from the power of sin. Now, remember the context so far. The context is, is that he is trying to, the Apostle Paul is trying to encourage the church at Colossae in order to prepare them to be stand, not to fall, to be anchored down when the cult tries to nip at them. When you understand salvation and you understand the gift that God gave to us, you can't be confused when the cults come. Just think about this. If you understand those four words that are necessary for salvation, substitutionary atonement, Jesus died for us and he died as us. He paid our price. He was our atonement. He died for us and as us. When we understand the word propitiation, because of what Jesus Christ did, God is no longer angry with us. We'll no longer owe God the debt of hell ever again. When we go over to our side that Jesus was our redemption. His blood was enough to pay for every sin we ever did commit and ever will commit. He paid it all. We'll never owe God the debt of hell ever again. It's been paid in full. And because of that, we can have fellowship with God. When we understand that we've been delivered from the power of darkness, we have been translated into the, we no longer have the, uh, under the power of sin that helps us. So when a cult comes and says, guess what? You could lose your salvation. We won't be fooled. We say, no, I'm part of a different kingdom now. When a cult tries to tell you that you're not really saved, you have to do this and this and this and this. We could say, no, it wasn't of me. It's what Jesus and Jesus alone did. This helps us. We cannot be confused by a cult who tries to sell religion. What is religion, by the way? It is a system of works to earn salvation. We understand that we don't have to be part of a cult and we, can't, we don't have to let the cult fool us if we understand what Jesus did through us, did for us because of his redemption. Notice there's a third thing here dealing with this things that accompany salvation. Notice in verse 14, we have forgiveness of sins. In verse 14, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the redemption or forgiveness of sins. So often we pass over this statement, but we have to underscore the importance of this idea. We are forgiven from the debt we owed 
God. We'll never owe God the debt of hell ever again. That means even if I do sin, I still don't owe that price because Jesus paid it all. He paid it all. Now that's a blessing. I'll never owe God the debt of hell ever again. The number one way to keep true born again Christians from being effective from God is when they do not have what we call assurance of salvation. Why? Because if people don't have assurance of salvation, they say, I just don't know if I'm saved. I think I'm saved. Maybe I'm saved. What happens is they end up serving God in order to get something from God. God wants us to serve him, not in order to get something from him, but he wants us to serve because of what he's already done for me. You see, now I have a different motive. I'm not doing it to get something from God. I'm doing it because of. It changes everything. I don't show up to church because I'm afraid I'm going to go to hell if I don't. I show up to church because I'm forgiven and I want to honor the God who loves me. It changes everything. Remember what a cult's going to do is they want to try to confuse people and make them work. They want to put a system where you have to do this and you have to do this. You have to do this and you have to do this and you have to do this. But if you understand biblical salvation and you understand what Jesus Christ did for us, then we'll never get swept away with this idea, oh no, I'm going to lose my salvation. Oh no, I'm not good enough. Oh no, because it's not all about us. It's about Christ and what he has done for us. Now I have the freedom to serve God and because I love him. I have the freedom to serve God because I'm thankful for what he's done. I no longer have to sin because I'm no longer under the power of Satan. I'm no longer under the power of darkness. I'm no longer under the power of sin. But instead, I have been given light as an inheritance of the saints, inheritance of what God has given to me, and that I can shine a light in this dark world because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. This frees me up tremendously. Now, on the other hand, if you're saved and you're not using your light, if you're saved and you are not moving forward to the Lord, it's not because of God. You're sinning against this own salvation. God has given you all the freedom. You choose to serve God or you choose not to serve God. You don't have to. Well, people say, well, then if I don't have to, forget this well, then you might want to check your salvation. Because let me tell you, if you get to the place where you could say, well, listen, if I don't have to serve God, I'm not going to. Maybe you don't realize how much you've been forgiven of. We deserve to be in hell right now. You understand most people have an unreasonable Christianity. They feel like, well, fine, I have to go to church. You don't have to do nothing. You get to. Well, I have to read my Bible. You don't have to do anything. You get to. Well, I guess I'll have to pray. You don't have to pray. You get to pray. Well, I guess I'll just have to give. You don't have to give. You get to give. Well, I guess I'll just have to go tell people about the Lord. No, 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 no. You get to. Everything changes. We don't have to. Religion says you have to. Christ says we get to. Our motive is different. 
I'm not trying to stay saved and I'm not trying to get saved. Jesus has already taken care of all of that. I have the privilege of serving God with no strings attached. I'm going to heaven whether I serve God or not. You say, but that's awful. Now, we understand there are other things that accompany salvation, which also includes a brand new heavenly father who won't let us continue in sin. That's a different conversation. What we're saying for now, to help us, we're not going to get confused by the cults. By the way, they're out there. What's one of the number one things that the cults are fighting over? Salvation. We'll go ahead and call them out. The cult of the Catholic Church, by the way, the Catholic Church is a cult. It's a big cult. Lots of money, but it's a cult. Why do you mean it's a cult? Because they've changed salvation. In order to go to heaven under the Catholic system, you have to obey the seven sacraments. You have to make sure that all of your sins are confessed and taken care of. Otherwise, you're going to spend some time in purgatory to burn it all away. And then if you commit too many cardinal sins, then guess what? And you'll never know for sure if you're going to heaven or not. So what happens is that people say, oh man, I got to go to mass or I'm going to go to hell. Oh, I got to do this or I'm going to go, I got to give enough money to go. And what happens is that they're not serving God out of love. They're serving God because they have to or they're going to not get make heaven. All these other cults have a system of religion. You have to do this and you have to do this. We have the privilege of getting to do this. Now, does that mean that our liberty gets to be abused? Yeah, the Bible makes mention of that many different places. That we're not supposed to use our liberty as an occasion to sin. But instead, to do good works. We get to choose to do so. But we have a freeing faith that we're not have to serve God. We get to serve God. When the people of Colossae understand this, the cults are not going to be able to get a stronghold. They're not going to be able to get into the church. They're not going to be able to sweep the people away. Because we have the privilege of serving God because we want to. Which now brings us to one final piece of business. Do you want to? If you don't want to, there is something wrong. Maybe not something wrong with your salvation, but maybe it's been a while since you've been at the foot of the cross and looking up at the Savior who died for us. To look up and see the suffering and the shame. To be able to see the blood he shed for me. He is up on the cross. He died on the cross because of my sins. He went to the cross because of my failures. He died on the cross because that's what I deserved. When I realized that that's what I deserved, that I deserve to be in hell right now, it changes my attitude pretty quick. I am no longer grumpy about serving God. I'm joyful about serving God. Again, if someone in here is not happy about being in church, there's something wrong. If you're not happy about reading your Bible, there's something wrong. If you're not happy about praying, there's something wrong. By the way, <laughs> we all get in places of spiritual fleshly fits where we don't want to read the Bible. We don't want to go to church. Anytime that happens, there's something wrong. What's the answer? To run to the cross of Calvary. To go see my Savior who died for me in my place. Calvary settles it all. 
Calvary covers it all. I just need to go back to the foot of the cross and remember he died for me. Oh, we're thankful that in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.